1: From boards of trustees to elders, deacons, presbyters, and the like. There are a variety of maturations when it comes to church government. So, what does God actually say about it all? Let's find out next on Abounding Grace. is the leadership of the church to be ran? This is the question we're answering here today on Abounding Grace as Pastor Gary Wagner continues our look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-13. through It's a message he's simply entitled, Elders, Deacons, and Their Wives. You see, God lays out for us some clear direction as how the church is to be governed, how it is to be ran, to what end, and whose glory. It's all before us here in First Timothy. Won't you join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose and online
2: at reformedheritage.org. Here's Pastor Gary. You must be above reproach. That doesn't mean that there won't be people who don't disagree with you. It means when someone looks at your life, there is nothing that they can impeach you for, so to speak. They can have their suspicions and their assumptions, but there's really nothing in your life. No major thing uh, that people can look at in the church and say, this guy is just a terrible excuse for an elder. He must be above reproach and he must be the husband of one wife. Now that has been, as some of these other things, misunderstood and misinterpreted. There have been some people who have said, since he is to be the husband of one wife, a divorced man may never be an elder. Well, if someone is biblically divorced, that is because his wife was an adulteress or she abandoned him, that divorce is biblical. So he is no longer married to that guilty party. And so if he remarries, he is considered to have only one wife. There are other people who say this means an elder must be married because he's got to be the husband of one wife. Well, guess what? Guess who was an elder? Jesus. Guess who wasn't married? Jesus. So the point here is that if a man is going to be an elder and not married... He's got to have the maturity and wisdom of a godly married man. And that excludes a lot of Christian young people today. But there are such young men like Ben Loomis and Matt Taylor who are godly with all of the maturity and all of the wisdom of a married man. So if he is married, he must be faithful. We cannot demand more than what the Bible demands, and we cannot demand less. If a man is going to be an elder, he must show the fidelity of a husband, of a godly man, a mature man, temperate, prudent, self-controlled, not a slave to every passion and desire coming and going, respectable, that is, having dignity. And he must be hospitable how important is that let me give you a trivia item in the book of Genesis you have all these great patriarchs Noah Abraham Isaac Jacob Moses David and all the rest and some of the Christian traits that are emphasized in the lives of these patriarchs were they were all courageous they were all faithful yes yes But the one that is always highlighted is hospitality. These patriarchs were all hospitable. Because they understood that God is going to work through them to build a massive church of a nation and tribe from all over the earth. So they needed to be respectful to people. People to like them. People feel important around them. They are kind to people. If you are not hospitable to people, you can have all of the reform books in the world and read them, all. And yet if you're isolated and self-absorbed and you're afraid of committing to relationships, don't think about being an elder. Because without hospitality, my friends, we will never conquer the world. So here Jesus says, if a man is going to be an elder, he must be temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And if he is married, he must be married to one wife. And just aside here. And do you, re- you realize how hard it is for a woman to be a husband of one man? so the little phrase excludes women from eldership ladies and he must be apt to teach now that phrase has also been taken too far apt to teach people say means he has got to be able in some measure to speak before a group of people he must be able to explain the bible He must be able to apply the Bible and admonish people in terms of the Bible. And he must be able to stand in front of a group of people, like I'm doing right now, and teach. Well, it is not making that requirement here. It doesn't say that in being apt to teach, he has got to stand before a large group of people and speak. Apt to teach means... He must have the ability to speak and clarify and apply the Word of God, at least on a one-to-one basis. It doesn't say how large the audience has to be, but in some measure, the person who is going to be an elder, not a preaching elder now, a preaching elder must be able to preach before a large group, but all elders must be apt to teach, to clarify, to explain, to admonish, to exhort, even if it is just on a one-to-one basis. Verse 3, he can't be addicted to wine. Now, I've always thought it was pretty interesting why, in verse 3, an elder could not be addicted to wine, but concerning deacons, it says, they can't be addicted to much wine. It says in verse 8, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine. Well, the only thing I can really figure out is that deacons, and I'm serious here, can drink more wine than elders. Why? Because elders must always be in control of their senses if they are to rule the church. So they are not to be addicted to wine so they can control their desires. They are not to be pugnacious, not always looking for a fight, not wearing a chip on their shoulder, shoulder, not always wanting to get into some kind of argument because it says they are gentle they know when to speak with a loud voice but they also know when to speak with a very calm and gentle voice they are peaceable uncontentious trying always to be a peacemaker they are free from the love of money and it shows in their lives they don't just live to make money And they have their expenses under control. And that elder must be one who manages his own household well. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. Because if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household. How will he be able to care or manage the church of God? Now some people have taken that verse as to say. An elder must have children. Well, if he has to have children, he has to have children who are capable of believing. And again, we don't want to go farther than the Bible goes. And remember, Jesus was an elder with no children. Paul, besides being an apostle, was a preacher and an elder. And he wasn't married. He said, during this coming storm that we are about to face, I wish some of you young men were like me, single. Now that is a bit confusing because Paul once was a Pharisee of the Sanhedrin, the governing body of the Jews. And you had to be married to be on the Sanhedrin. So what in the world happened to Paul's wife? Did she die? Were they divorced? We don't actually know. But I'm sure there will come a time someday when you can actually ask him why he wasn't married. So this man must manage his own household well. If he has children, they must be obedient. And he must have the maturity of a father. In verse 6, it says he cannot be a new convert. Because if you elect a new convert, he will most likely become cocky. And he will fall into the trap Satan sets for him. And believe it or not, this happens a good deal today. You know, new converts are all excited usually with all the new things they're learning. And they are just soaking everything up. And unfortunately, some of it's not all that good. And since they are not mature in the faith, they are very vulnerable ...and can easily be sucked into vain speculations. So you don't want to elect a new convert to the office of elder. Verse 7. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Now, many people may not like him... ...because of what he believes... ...and because of the truths that he speaks. They'll certainly hate his ethics... And they'll hate his morality. They'll hate probably his worldview. But overall, he will have a good reputation so that even his enemies will say, I cannot stand what this man believes, but you know what? He is a good man. So he should have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and be a snare of the devil. Now, deacons. This is the other office of the church. There are to be three offices in the church, if it is going to be a strong church. The preaching elder, the ruling elder, and deacons. And it says, deacons likewise, just like the elders, must be men of dignity. Just because they don't share in the governing of the church. Just because there is not the shepherding of the church among the deacons, they must be, not be less dignified. They must also speak with dignity. So deacons must be men of dignity and not be double-tongued. In other words, they don't talk out of both sides of their mouth. And when they tell you something, you can believe them. They're not addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, particularly if they are going to be involved in the financial matters of the church. They cannot be men who are greedy or fond of sordid gain, and just because they are deacons and not not governors of the church, that does not mean they don't have to believe the right things. For they are to hold to the mysteries of the faith with a clear conscience, it says here. That's why when we train our deacons, we make them go through a class on the Westminster Confession of Faith. We expect the deacons to understand the Reformed faith just like an elder. The only difference is, the elders better have a very good grasp of it, and they must be apt to teach, and we also take elders to a class on new counseling. They have to be ap- apt to teach, and a deacon doesn't. But the deacon must be sound in the doctrines of the church. Verse 10, then these men must also be first tested. Now, let's see what they're like in the church. Don't expect the office to make the man. This man should be acting like a deacon before he is elected to the office. And that's why you want to elect him as a deacon. Now, the word deacon means a server. A lot of people misunderstand the relationship of elders and deacons today. They think that elders and deacons are like a bicameral legislature. You've got the Senate and you've got the House of Representatives. And before a decision can be made, both houses have to vote on it. If the president is going to be impeached, both houses have to vote on it and approve it. Well, bear in mind, the offices of the church are not a bicameral legislature. Deacons do not share at all in the government of the church. It is not that the elders must vote for something and then the deacons have to vote on it too. The elders alone are the governors and the managers and the shepherds under Christ. But, and this is a big but, that does not make the deacons any less important because the diaconate, in some ways, is the heart of the church. That it is the office of compassion. The office of deacon is an office of health, education, and welfare, of human resources. It makes sure that the people of church are taken care of in material ways. And even though they don't share in the government of the church, they teach the congregation how to love each other, how to serve one another. Let them also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. We'll come back to verse 11 here in a moment. But verse 12 says, deacons must be husbands of one wife, having all the maturity, of course, of a married man. Again, it's hard to be the husband of one wife if you are a woman. And good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. As a deacon, you will be known as someone who knows how to serve and to love and be compassionate with other people. And you will obtain a high standing in the church, not because you are seeking that high standing, but because people will respect you for a job well done. Guess who also was a deacon? Jesus. Mark 10, 45. And the Son of Man came not to be the deaconed, but to deacon is the actual word, and to give his life a ransom for many. So now back to verse 11. In the midst of all these qualifications for elders and deacons, it says, women, and I believe in the version that Bob read earlier said wives, must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So you actually have some people who say from this, not only were there elders and deacons in the church, but there was also an office of women of some sort, some say deaconess. Well, there is a footnote in many Bibles that says the word woman there means wives in Greek. So it says, "wives," meaning the wives of the elders and deacons have qualifications also. Many years in a church, my fam- many years ago in a church my family attended, there was a great guy who was an elder, and he had to resign because of his wife. He was spiritual; he performed his duties well, and was a great man of prayer. But his wife was not dignified. She was a malicious gossip. And she harassed the pastor. And was not faithful in all things. So he had to resign. Here at RHC. We had a similar situation in which one of our deacons was asked on several occasions. To rein in his wife. Who was a major gossip. But instead of calling her to task, he resigned. So it is making the requirement that it's not just elders and deacons that must have these qualifications, but the wives of elders and deacons must be looked upon with respect. So if there is going to be well-being in the church, if it is going to be what God wants it to be, you need these offices, beloved You need a preaching elder. You need at least two ruling elders, and you need at least one deacon. Now, why do I say you need two ruling elders? When Paul wrote to some of the churches in the New Testament, like Philippi, he says to the elders and the deacons at Philippi, the government of the church is to be in the hands of a plurality of elders. Because you see, the one thing that God hates in His church is one-man rule. So God has established in in Scriptures clear-cut guidelines that if you're going to have a church, an organized church, you must have a plurality of elders. You must have at least two men, so that the government of the church is never in the hands of one man that can then lead to tyranny. So when these offices are functioning the way they should, you've got a strong, faithful church. And the two or three things in all of these qualifications in these elders and deacons is that they must be loved and respected and honored by the people in the church. They must be above reproach in the eyes of the world. Their families are to be orderly, and they must believe in the right things. Always remember, it matters what you believe. Now notice what it says in verse 14. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. God, who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And in verse 16, I believe we have an early confession of the church, much like that of the Apostles' Creed. So you have a church that is confessional. It believes the truth. It wants strong biblical men that do what they're called to do and is going to realize that they are not perfect. Therefore, as members of the church, we must always be praying for them, not finding little faults with them and not talking about them behind their backs, but praying for those men and understanding that you need them in your life, beloved. Most people in this country don't think they need elders in their lives. Most churches don't have elders, as I said earlier. Most people don't think they need them. After all, I've got my Bible, I've got my guns, I've got my family, and that's all I really need. And that is one of the reasons the church is in the shape it is in today. A church without godly, sound elders is a church that will not be very biblical for very long. So here you see what Paul is doing. He is saying, I'm showing you how to conduct yourself in the household of God, Timothy. And I'm not just giving you my opinion. This is the direction of our king. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for establishing the offices of elders and deacons. May our elders and deacons here live up to their duties you require of them. May they humbly and faithfully serve as shepherds and caretakers of this congregation. May they care and love these people as a real family, never shirking their responsibilities but seeing this as an important calling of God. And may these brothers and sisters here respect them and marinate them in prayer, knowing the heaviness of their duties. And it is in the name of our beloved Christ that we pray. Amen.